Our first reading on this on this special day comes from the book of Isaiah, the well-known passage in chapter 53, Isaiah 53, all 12 verses. And we'll turn then to our text, which will be John 19 from the second part of verse 16 through to verse 30. But we'll start with Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We turn next then to John chapter 19, where we'll read from the end of verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, 
Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfil the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So far the reading. Our text today is verse 30, and I've entitled the sermon, Our Assurance from Jesus on the Cross. Now in the late 1800s, Howard Kelly was a young medical student. He loved nature and he frequently went out with, on long walks. And one day when he was, he was out walking, he stopped at a farmhouse to get a glass of water. And a young girl came to the door and, and when he asked for some water, she said sweetly to him, I'll give you a glass of milk instead. And thanking her, he drank that cool, refreshing milk. Then he said goodbye and continued his walk. And many years after qualifying as a doctor, Kelly was, was the chief surgeon at the famous Johns Hopkins Hospital. And one day a seriously ill patient came in from a rural area. She was admitted to the hospital and the skilled chief surgeon spared no effort to make her well. She was given a private room with special care, even attended to by a private nurse. And after undergoing surgery, she, she recuperated quite quickly and, and soon she heard the joyous news that she could go home the following day. Now, this is the day before, days before Medicare and National Health Service, etc. So her joy was lessened by her worry about the large amount of money that she would surely owe the hospital and the surgeon. So she softly asked them the nurse for the bill. And the nurse brought this, this detailed bill line after line after line and with a heavy heart, this patient started reading the long list of, of items and her heart got heavier as she read, as she added up the total. But as she neared the end of the list, her eyes caught a note at the bottom of that large bill, paid in full with a glass of milk, signed Dr. Howard Kelly. Now, there are obvious differences, but in some way this, this story reminds me of, of the great love that our God has for us. If our sins were to be itemized on a bill, it would surely be a huge bill. And it wouldn't be something that Medicare or private health would cover, of course. Yet because of our gracious God's love, he wrote, paid in full on our bill of sin. But that payment in full came at a, at a huge cost, a tremendous cost. God's love led to his son being sacrificed on the cross. For Jesus, it came at the huge cost of separation from the Father. But because of God's love and because of, of Jesus' sacrifice, the bill of our sin has indeed been paid in full. It has been paid, that account has been settled, and there is no more to do, no more to pay, no more worry from that perspective. And this morning's text tells us about how that account has been settled. 
It tells us of the last minutes of Jesus' life. He'd been sentenced to death. He's been scorned. He's been beaten. He's been rejected. Now he's hanging on that cross, dying the death of a criminal. And in these final minutes, before he breathes out his last breath, he utters these three words, It is finished. It is finished. And that cry, it is finished, is not a cry of defeat. It's a cry of victory. And as we walk our way through the text, we'll see that this this cry of victory gives us, as God's people, enormous assurance. So let's look at our text. Within the, I'm going to use a framework that I've used in a previous sermon on this text. Jesus didn't say, you're finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Jesus didn't say, you are done with. He didn't say, I'm done with, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Now, firstly, Jesus didn't say, you're finished. No, when we, when we hear the words, you're finished, what comes to mind? It's usually something negative, isn't it? Something like when a, when a boss tells someone, you're finished, you'll never work in this industry again. Or when a cop tells a criminal that he's just caught, you're finished, mate. It's generally an indication that there's not any hope left for that person. And brothers and sisters, on our own, on our own and in our own strength, we would be finished, wouldn't we? We'd be done for. We'd have no hope because we are born in sin. We are sinful by nature. In our own strength, we'd be done for. We'd be truly finished. In that famous passage in the letter to the Roman church, Paul writes, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. David wrote, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But friends, we do have hope. In the song, How Deep the Father's Love, we we quite appropriately sing, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Yes, he hung about on that cross because of your sin, my sin. The only way for us to be at peace with God was for our sins to be covered, to be washed away. And that could only be done by someone who was sinless. Without Jesus, we'd be done for. We would not only be in dire straits, we'd be done for, finished. There'd be no hope. But Jesus didn't say, we are finished or you are finished, did he? He didn't say, because I'm hanging here on this cross, because I'm being crucified, you're all done for. Our sin held him there, yes, but he didn't hate us for that. Even on the cross, he prayed that those who mocked him would be forgiven. In truth, Jesus couldn't say, you're finished, because through his death, new life would come to all those who believe in him and accept him as saviour. You see, dear friends, in, in Jesus, we are not finished. In Jesus, we are a new creation, each one of us. In Christ, we're not finished, but the work of our redemption is finished. Anyone, anyone without Jesus is hell-bound, bound for destruction, bound for everlasting separation from God. Anyone without Jesus is truly done for, truly finished. But on that cross, on that cross, Jesus gives the, the amazing assurance and the secure hope that we can have to everyone who accepts him as saviour that they are not lost. They're not done for. They are not finished. So Jesus didn't just say, you're not finished. He also didn't say, I'm finished. 
Many of us have at some time in our lives come to that point where we feel we just cannot go on. Perhaps your parents have given you something to do and you, you just couldn't get it done and you, you gave up. Perhaps as a, as a student, your maths teacher gave you some homework to do and you just couldn't figure it out, so you gave it up for a bad job. Perhaps as an athlete, you were, you were way out in front and then someone comes sprinting past you and you just give up. Perhaps you can't face the challenges of a relationship and you cry out, I've had enough, get me out of here. That's not what Jesus said, that's not what he did. On that old rugged cross, he didn't throw in the towel, so to say. He wasn't giving up. He didn't say, I can't go on, I've had enough. He didn't say, I'm finished. Friends, Jesus' suffering on that cross was unimaginable. But even if there was a way that we could imagine that pain, that agony, the anguish of his torture on the cross, there's no way in which we could even begin to imagine the forsakenness that he experienced, the forsakenness that caused him to cry out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? This was the one for whom and through whom everything was created. The one who was one with the Father and now in his human nature he hung on that cross and he experienced the the separation from God. The same separation that all who do not surrender to God will experience. That's why he could cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But just as Jesus was willing to come to this world, to take on human flesh, to live in this world, he was willing to suffer, suffer the agony of that desolation that he felt, to die on that cross in order to fulfill the promises that God had made. Despite the false accusations, despite being found guilty on trumped-up charges, despite the anguish of the cross, Our Messiah was willing to take on and complete the work that God had sent him to do. If we think back to when he was in the the Garden of Gethsemane, when the full impact of what was going to be happening to him, when that hit home, he prayed that the cup of bitterness might pass him by. But he didn't say, I can't do this anymore. Instead, he remained obedient to his father's will. When he was betrayed, he didn't say, I've had enough. When he was falsely accused, he didn't say, I'm done with all of this. When he hung on that, on that cross, he experienced being forsaken. He didn't cry out, this has gone far enough. And when he was ready to breathe his final breath, he didn't say, I am finished. So what does it mean then that Jesus said, it is finished? And verses 28 and verse 30, we find the words was now finished and it is finished. It's the same Greek word, tetelestai, which occurs only here in the whole of the New Testament in these two verses. It comes from a word which means to bring to an end or to to complete. And it also has something to do with accounting. Now think back a moment to the story of the doctor who had covered the bill of that woman who as a young girl had, had given him a glass of milk. It's the same sense of a bill that's been paid in full that's being expressed here in our text. In this sense, it is finished means that Jesus has settled in full the bill of our sin. And as immensely important as that is, there's still more. But to explain it, I have to give you a short Greek lesson. Um, It'll be short, I promise. 
The word tetelestai is what is called a passive verb, and it's also in the perfect tense. Now, why am I telling you this is because it's important. You see, because it is a passive verb, it means that Jesus was subjected to an action. He was the one who was receiving God's judgment for our sin. It was something that was being put on him. And the fact that it's in the perfect tense means that the results of Jesus settling that bill for our sin wasn't just some, something that happened out there in the, in the deep and dark past. It means that its results continue on even to today. Its results last even until today. It's not just something that Jesus did for those who were around him. Not just for Calvin. Not just for Luther. Not just for you. Not just for me. But for all who believe in him. Even to this day. And what a relief. And what, a, what an assurance that is. That we can know that Jesus' death on the cross. The results of that impact on us today as well and the gift of jesus is indeed an an amazing gift it's a gift which which the greek actually tells us keeps on giving jesus has paid the price he has settled the debt he's taken the judgment and and the punishment on himself he's taken the punishment for our sin and that debt that debt has been settled the debt of our sin has been settled, fully paid, and no matter what, it remains fully and finally paid. There's no outstanding balance. And that's hugely important. What Jesus on the, did on the cross remains in effect today. It is as powerful as it was then. It means that salvation is still available today to everyone who accepts him as saviour. Put it another way, his work was completed it remains completed, and even right now salvation is available to all those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Redeemer and Saviour. As we think of our Saviour hanging on that cross, on that old rugged cross, that cherished cross, his cry of victory echoes down the centuries. It is finished. It was finished in the past, it is finished in the present, it will remain finished in the future. But let's dig a little bit deeper and ask what this it is that Jesus has finished. Remember that it is finished isn't a cry of defeat, isn't a cry of despair, it's a cry of victory. It isn't that I can't take it anymore type of cry. It's the cry of triumph. It's the bold proclamation that he has fully completed all the work his father has sent him to do. He's responded in obedience to the father's will. He's revealed the love of the father and he's completed the work of redemption. Jesus has firstly responded to the father's will with full obedience. And that shouldn't, of course, surprise us for God's word consistently tells us of the oneness of Jesus with the father. Jesus himself said, I and the father are one. But most importantly, Jesus also said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus gave up on the glory of heaven and came to earth to accomplish what the Father set out for him to do. His passion was to glorify the Father by doing his will. Everything he did was for that purpose. That's why he could cry out in triumph, It is finished. When he gave up his life on the cross, he accomplished the purpose of his Father. Friends, what a, what a magnificent picture that paints for us about a life of obedience, obedience to the will of God, 
a life that brings glory to God. Do we have that passion? Do we have that passion? Do we have that craving, that, that hunger and thirst for life, a life which brings glory to our God? Is that your passion and my passion? I pray that, that we can say that this is our passion or that we're praying for strength for, to strive for that passion. So Jesus could say that because he had accomplished the work that he came to do. He could secondly say it's finished because his work of revealing the loving heart of the Father was complete. The fact that the Father was willing to let his Son die on the cross as a means of dealing with our sin tells us, and it tells us as nothing else can, that sin matters tremendously to our holy God. It matters tremendously to him, so much so that he was willing to send his son to die for us on that cross. In this we see the the incredible loving heart of our God. On the cross, Jesus shows us the fullness of the heart of God, that he should give his only son for us, to snatch us back from everlasting shame. Isn't that amazing proof of, of how amazingly loving our God is, our Abba is. Friends, at Calvary, we don't only hear, behold the man. We don't simply hear, behold your king. We also hear, behold your God. On the cross, more than anywhere else, Jesus fully displays the loving heart of God. His final words say, if I can paraphrase, it is finished, Father. I have shown them how incredibly much you love them. Of course, Jesus could also say it's finished because the work of redemption, his work of redemption was finished. It was complete. Each and every part of our salvation, of your salvation, of my salvation, is contained in his sacrifice on that cross. The debt of sin has been cancelled. With that single offering, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, those who are being sanctified. There is nothing more for us to do for our salvation. That work is finished. It is finished. I can't put it any better than the Apostle Paul did in his letter to the Colossians when he said, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of debt that we had for our sin was nailed to that cross. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, his work of redemption was done. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On that cross, the work of redemption was completed. The unblemished lamb has been sacrificed for our sin. It is finished. All the requirements of the law has been met. It is finished. The curse of the law has been removed. It is finished. The record of debt that stood against us for our sin has been cancelled. It is finished. Satan's hold and Satan's dominion over man has been broken. It is finished. And our relationship with God has been restored. It is finished. So what does this mean for you and for me? 
Brothers and sisters, Christ's finished work gives us joy. It gives us peace. And it also gives us rest. Doesn't it bring great joy to your heart to know that the one for whom and through whom everything was created is the same one who has paid the debt of your sin? Perfectly, fully and finally. The one to whom every knee will bow is the same one who has ransomed you from your slavery and set you free from the punishment of death. You are free to live again. He's done it all. It is finished. But Christ's work also gives us a a marvellous peace. Because it is finished, all those who accept Jesus as Lord has been made part of God's family. Yes, they've been made part of a royal family. In a sense, we are all princes and princesses of a royal family. Because Jesus' work is finished, because it is completed, we have been adopted into the family of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. And because of Christ's sacrifice, because it is finished, our adoption into God's household is secure. It's secure. It can't be taken away. Every repentant believer's status as a child of the Almighty God is secure for nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can also rest in Christ's finished work. You see, everything that was a barrier to our acceptance by God has been overcome. Jesus' finished work drew us near to God. He suffered being forsaken by his Father and that means that you and I will not be forsaken. We will not feel that forsakenness. Our names have been written into the book of life through the blood of Christ shed on that cross. Christ's sacrifice is complete and it is completely sufficient. It is also final. It is finished. We can take joy in it, we can find peace in it and we can find rest in it. But even though we are saints, we are also still sinners. So sometimes we can try and carry that burden of our sin or our burden of guilt ourselves. Perhaps we might feel so guilty over a particular sin that we try to earn forgiveness through our own work. Perhaps we might think that we've stuffed up so badly that we just cannot be forgiven. And perhaps you may be viewing your relationship with God as terminal, too far gone to be resuscitated by the completed work of Jesus Christ. Friends, on this glorious Good Friday morning, I can proclaim to you, if that is how you feel, I can proclaim to you without hesitation, it is finished. Your sin and my sin is not too much for Jesus. It's not too much for his sacrifice on the cross. It is finished. Jesus put it to death on the cross. On that cross he said his work is finished. He has brought those who have surrendered to him into the kingdom of his father. He's brought reconciliation. He's brought restoration. He has paid the price for our sin. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Cling to him for he is your only hope your only hope and your only guarantee. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, as you leave here this morning, even if you forget everything else, please remember this. Our assurance from Jesus on the cross is this. His work is finished. It remains finished yesterday, today and tomorrow. As we sang earlier, he was lifted up to die. It is finished, was his cry. 
now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we can know that the work of your Son was completed, that it was finished, and that the debt of sin has been fully discharged. Thank you that we can say, His wounds have paid our ransom, and His dying breath has brought us life. Oh Lord, we thank you for that mercy and that grace and, and the glory and glorious gift of your Son, your Son whose death we celebrate today. And Lord, we also know that it was our sin that held him there on that cross until he accomplished redemption for us. So Lord, we pray that you will give us the strength and the courage to keep clinging to the cross, to keep looking to and holding on to that finished work of Jesus. And Father, lead us and guide us. Lead us and guide us, O Lord, so that each one of us will be able to live a thankful and grateful life. In the name of our glorious Saviour Jesus we pray. Amen.